You are listening to the Big Blue Rock Pod, produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. This podcast is a fun, conversational approach to discussing all things geology and earth processes. We primarily focus on Kentucky. We talk emerging ideas and research, along with classic topics in earth science for all levels of interest. Let's do the show! Hello, and welcome back to the Big Blue Rock Pod. I'm Matt Crawford, along with my co-hosts, Doug Curl, Sarah Arpin. Hello. How are we doing? Good. Everyone's good? Good, Yeah, we're good. good. Yeah. Episode eight. So we're we're moving along well, I think. We haven't been fired or, you know, let this fizzle out, so we're good. Our topic today is, was hard to sort of put into one word, but it's it's spatial data, maps, and GIS. Um, so we're going to get into the nitty gritty of what is GIS and all kinds of, of data, discussing tools and services that are disseminated to people like us, working geologists, but all other kinds of practitioners, people who use all kinds of map data and do all kinds of analysis. So when I say data, I mean things like aerial photography, elevation data, cultural boundaries, infrastructure data, and the list is, is endless, as you'll probably see when we, we go through this. But let's let's get into it. We have a guest. It's a pleasure to have Kent Annis of the Division of Geographic Information. Kent, thanks thanks for being here. Why don't you describe what you do in a nutshell for people, and then we can we can get into it. Very good. First off, uh, thanks for inviting me. I think this is uh, this will be good to share this with uh, with your listeners. I am the Geographic Information Officer for the Commonwealth of Kentucky, essentially the director of the Division of Geographic Information. Uh, We're located in the Commonwealth Office of Technology within the Finance and Administration Cabinet, so we're in the executive branch. And our office really provides uh, oversight, fosters collaboration and data sharing. Mainly, our focus is uh, with the executive branch agencies. So I've been doing GIS for quite some time now, and uh, we've got a pretty strong GIS community in the Commonwealth. Yeah, that's true. And I just want to say one thing before we get into some of the topics you know, Doug, we talked about this and you too, Sarah, like there were some obvious topics we wanted to bring to the podcast, you know, big, exciting geologic topics. But this one immediately popped in my head too, when this podcast came to fruition and specifically talking to Kent, you know, as geologists, we're in the business of solving real world earth processes, hazards, looking for natural resources, but we don't do any of that without amazing these days, right? Without amazing spatial information and tools to have us get the job done. I mean, I, I guess sort of gone are the days of going out in the field and looking at, at rocks. We just don't do that much anymore. And what we do at our fingertips at the computer is amazing. And uh, it's thanks to people like Kent and their office that provide a lot of that so we can do our job. So I think the first thing we all wanted to do was define what GIS is. Maybe assume our, our listeners know, have heard of that acronym before. It's an acronym that stands for Geographic Information Systems. And it's a concept that has a lot of definitions, definitions probably specific to whatever you do. So I wrote one down and I'll just read it here. This is ESRI's definition. It's a software company that produces a software called ArcGIS, ArcPro which we all use. They say a GIS is a spatial system that creates, manages, analyzes, and maps all types of data. It can't, does that hold, hold water, do you think? Yeah, I, I think it does. And 
I think the other thing people need to keep in mind is that the vast majority of all data has some spatial component. I've heard it said 85, 90% of all, all databases out there have spatial components within them. So keep that in mind too as we talk about this, that uh, sure we're going to be talking about a lot of things in maybe the physical and built environment, but there, there's things in just standard databases that we can put on a map. Yeah. Some other notes I kind of jotted down, sort of connected to what is a GIS, right? We're talking about connecting data to maps and not just knowing where things are on a point on the earth, but knowing what's going on at that point on the earth, right? Understanding what it's like at that place, not just knowing necessarily where it is. So all this data, software, and services, we, we'll get into it, but helps people understand patterns, relationships in a geographic context. It's really foundational for uh, a lot of disciplines in science, health, public safety, transportation, education, uh, communications, natural resources, go, the list goes on. So you all have any other thoughts on sort of parts of the definition and what what it does for people? I was just going to say GIS is, and GIS data has been fundamental to, to our work here at KGS for at least the 25 years or so I've been here. <laughs> I mean, my career started with putting data into a GIS and so to me, it's taking discrete data elements, you know, discrete maps, if you will, and putting them into this system that makes them seamless and able to be analyzed together. So my part of it hasn't been so much analytical as putting that data together and then also distributing it to the public. Yep. I'd like to get more into analysis, but... We have a lot of data here at KGS that we've been working on over the years because it's all spatial. I mean, everything, if it's not, if it doesn't have a location, it's not really, it's not usable for us. And probably that goes with a lot of data. If you don't know where it's from, even the county is <laughs> at least some, give us some spatial location for it. But it's been a fundamental thing for our work. Yeah. And it goes, I mean, we've been using maps and map data for a long time, but putting into the seamless digital database makes it just a lot more accessible and usable and the ability to analyze it makes it, it's a lot easier to do it. Oh, amazing. So Kent, talk about the division of geographic information, your all's mission and what you do. One of the things we do, and we've been doing this for many years, is annually we revisit our strategic plan. One of the things you've got here on the talking points is what is our mission or vision? And I'm just going to read this right from the, the first page of our strategic plan. And this was, we, we completed our annual update uh, in March. It looks like 31422 is the date on this. So the mission is facilitate statewide electronic geographic data sharing and its application for streamlined decision making, greater efficiency, public protection, emergency response, and economic vitality. Our vision is to expand the use of GIS technology throughout state and local government agencies and the citizenry of the Commonwealth, while simultaneously making available selected data to other entities that can benefit from its utility. So uh, in a nutshell, that is what we're there to do. And one of the things, that, and you'll, you'll hear me reference these frequently in talks and stuff I do, but 
our kind of our marching orders are in our statutes, are in the Kentucky Revised Statutes. And if you go look at KRS uh, 42650, we're in the finance cabinet, so we're in chapter 42, you'll, you'll see our powers, our duties, our, our authority to do administrative regulations. And in my mind, when I look at that, that's, that's our to-do list. That's what we are created to perform those tasks. And it's outlined very well. It's outlined very specifically there. And as we were discussing earlier, we're fortunate because there are many states across this nation that do not have this in statute. So it really, this, this governance that we have here that we can follow really makes it, I wouldn't say easy, but uh, it makes it very clear what it is we're supposed to be doing and who it is we're supposed to be supporting. For the most part, we provide services to the executive branch, but because of the way we do it, because of the way we document our data, we also expose that to the broader uh, public and private sector. So although our focus is to service the executive branch, it really bleeds out into uh, a much broader group and a much broader community in terms of who we provide services for. You know, and especially during COVID, it really ramped up. But, you know, we get millions. Uh, in, in 2021, we had nearly, get this, this is, this is a real number. We, we had over 800 million server requests. <laughs> okay, okay. We're, we're almost at a billion there, folks. And it's not unusual for just the raster services to have 9 to 15 million server requests a month. I mean, it's just not unusual at all. So and that's your that's your imagery and yeah. And if you look at that, we don't analyze it probably to the level we should. We're just really looking at how many requests come into each server. But there's a lot of those. Probably the vast majority of those are not from within the executive branch. Hmm. Think about those numbers and and, and who all's using that for a minute. And it kind of gives you a, an idea of of how broadly our stuff is uh, is used. That's incredible. Yeah, it really is. Actually, COVID kind of highlights GIS for everyone because, you know, that's been an event where people very much just outside of the realm of GIS people and just the general public think about the spatially, you know, where is this happening? Is it going to happen to me? And how close is it? You know, now it's everywhere. But especially early on, you know, that was a big question. And so, yeah, it would, I mean, you guys stood up services really fast, which was amazing. And then... You get all these hits because that was the question everybody had was, mm -hmm. yeah, that's what GIS is, is where is this thing and is it going to affect me? And that's the analytical part that probably should well, that, <laughs> dive oh, more yeah. into. But, the, yeah. the, the dashboards became yeah, the popular dashboards, and a word yeah. that everyone became familiar with, right? This, this county's dashboard, this state's dashboard for data. And that was a term nationally, maybe I think people became familiar with. Because they needed to check. Yeah. Everybody wanted to see that. And, and, and Kim, my wife and partner in crime here, who probably accounts for more than 50% of our success, um, you know, she was watching this data as it was coming in. And as we were trying to build out some of these dashboards in the early days, and she just kept saying, you know, this is what's going to happen. I can see the pattern here. And oh, by the way, Kent, nobody's displaying this data right. You know, we're not normalizing it. We're not doing this. We're not mm -hmm. doing that. And she's wagging her finger at me telling me, you know, look, we got we to change this up. You know, and, and people aren't looking at this stuff, these dashboards, as much as they used to. The map server that these things are running on, Ian just ran stats uh, yesterday for the end of the month. We're down to 25 million requests last month. 
you know, and, and we, you know, you know, so we, we were up at, you know, 75 to 100 million a month. So, you know, people are, of course, the data is only coming out weekly now, but people are somewhat losing interest and in not looking at it as much mm-hmm. as they used to, Doug. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, still sticking with DGI here for a second, it, am I right in saying this is a small shop? You, Kim, Ian, yeah. just a few other people. Am I right on that? Yeah. There's just four of us, Kim, uh, correct, Ian Horn and uh, Kevin Hogue. That's that's the extent of our team. It's amazing. It is. And, and I've used this example a lot recently just because it was brought up at a couple national level meetings. I'm going to kind of say this in a, in a in a funny way, but also it it's it really underscores what we've done with what we have is, you know, I think Minnesota is down to like 29 staff people from 31 or 32 in their main GIS office. Wow. There's four of us. <laughs> um, they have three people just dedicated to, I think, like LIDAR procurement or something. Wow. You know, so I, I can't really wrap my head around having that level of resources at my fingertips. But yet, when you look at the services we provide and the impact we've made, you look at the governance that's on the books, and you look at a lot of our accomplishments, you know, statewide LIDAR. We, we just finished out six-inch statewide aerial photography this year. Um, there's just not many states that have this stuff. So... We are a small shop, uh, but we've got great leadership, great support, and with that, we've accomplished some great things. But uh, it's not been done in a vacuum either, and and, and we can speak more about that as, as okay. we uh, go down uh, the talking points here. Yeah, well, that's a good segue, I think, to talking about sort of the evolution of DGI and your programs and services and specific data sets, perhaps. So, I mean, I just listed some things that came to my mind and things that I'm familiar with here, but we can take it where we, where we want Maybe we just go in order here. The Commonwealth map. Is this a good place to start? Kind of just talking about some big uh, things you all have done? Yeah. And, and the way it's arranged here, Matt, is um, is kind of in a timeline. Okay. Okay. So when our governance was first put in place, for example, you know, you all had to seat on the advisory council and things like that. And, and one of the big dis- discussions back then was uh, we wanted to create the national map, USGS. All the discussion was a national map. Everybody... And everybody needed to be a contributor. All states needed to contribute these framework layers, these NSDI, these framework layers to the national map. And, and that's one of the first things we worked on. This was back in the ARC IMS days, Internet Map Server days. Mm-hmm. And we got an award. USGS leadership came to town. They, they went to the, uh, the Capitol, Room 110, and presented this big fancy map to the governor and all because we... We're the first state to contribute X number of framework layers. But we took those layers and along with that national map theme, we created the Commonwealth map and just put those layers out there just as this base map that other people could use. So that's kind of how the Commonwealth map came about. And and it's still out there. There's nothing special about it. It's just a base map, really. Uh, that lets everybody else see their data and context on top of it. But when you say framework layers, what what's included there? Well, the National Spatial Data Infrastructure include, and, and I don't have a comprehensive list. This is just I'm shooting from the hip here. But you know, it's things like roads and parcels, soils, uh, address points, different things like that that you would just see that would make up any sort of basic base map that you would need. Yeah. Now we really excelled at getting a whole lot of that, but two of the things I mentioned, we still, as we sit here today, do not have. We we are we are closer than ever to getting address points, and we're probably making some great progress on parcels, but it's those key layers that most everybody commonly sees or expects to see 
on some sort of base map that they're using. Yeah. And that was the idea is that all the states would contribute and the USGS would, would kind of put that together and call that the national map. Yeah, it's a great service, really nice map. Uh, so, okay, next is the KY GeoNet. So I'm kind of assuming here we got, got all these framework layers for a Commonwealth map service. People can go on and see that. And then so you maybe said, oh, we, we need a way to for people to search for something specific they want off this map and bring it to their own GIS at their office and do something with it. So the KY GeoNet, do you want to describe that? Yeah, and let's kind of go back, way back machine here. Yeah. So when I started doing GIS, I met this guy in Frankfurt. His name is Ken Bates. And, and Ken Bates was pretty much known as the father of GIS in Kentucky. And, and Ken was at Natural Resources and Environmental Protection Cabinet, which is now the Energy and Environment Cabinet. And he had already started kind of, I guess, cataloging, pulling together all these data sets. And he was starting to put them out on FTP. Ken's the first person that showed me the internet. <laughs> with a mosaic browser running on, I think, like a VMS workstation or something crazy like that. But I'm like, I'm not interested in that, Ken. I, I want to look a little look at these maps. But So Ken was putting this stuff out there. And I think you all, I think the Geological Survey may have had a couple things floating around out there. Mm-hmm. And Esri came to us and said, hey, you know, you all are all running ArcIMS. We want you to look at this thing called a metadata explorer, a metadata server. And so we stood it up. And... You all, KGS, were, and, and, and the Natural Resources and Environmental Protection Cabinet, were the first uh, entities to really publish to this platform, uh, them and, and us. And so the GeoNet is really, as you described it, a way for us to catalog inventory and document metadata, data about the data. Who created it? When's it going to be updated? Who can I call if I have problems? Uh, what's the spatial extent of it? Just all of those basic things that you might want to know about a data set, but then stored in such a way that it's indexed and uh, searchable and retrievable. Yeah. And it's still out there. Um, it's in its, I don't know, nth carnation. I have a love-hate relationship with the KY Geo portal. <laughs> um, Same. And um, it's it's, you know, but... With that being said, and, and there's folks have gotten lazy in the past few years, the reasons people share data are, are different. But one of the main reasons that I can tell people they should share data is it's cost avoidance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if you document your data correctly and you put it out there and you make it searchable and accessible via one of these platforms, people won't call you. People won't ask you, zip this up, send it to me, where is this, what about that? If they'll just take a minute and read, they'll find the information they need. Mm. I wasn't hired to be a librarian. And at times, you know, that's kind of what it, it was turning into back in the early days. And I think the idea of creating metadata, associating that with these geospatial resources, and then publishing that in this manner really is what began to empower the GIS community in Kentucky. You know, we could talk about the GeoNet for for hours or for days, but in a nutshell, that's what it is. It's still out there. And as we go down the list here in this little timeline, we'll we'll talk about something else that's kind of coming along. Sure. I I still point people to the GeoNet. All the time. And I remember when it did come out, it being a big deal, just like, wow, this is one portal. We can search for all kinds of stuff. And that was amazing. And I think Dan Carey 
Yeah, published a lot. And he he, was really good at. He was good at publishing. He's like, this is amazing. I'm just putting all my stuff out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great. I I think other states they use the term clearinghouse, and I never really, I don't know why I don't like that word, but (laughs) I'm glad that it wasn't used. (laughs) Well, Um, it is in statute. Yeah, it's it's in statute. It says specifically, and actually, Senate Bill 133 in the last session. It used to say that we would have to, we were responsible for building a clearinghouse. Yeah. It now says we are responsible for building the clearinghouse. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they kind of they kind of strengthened that. So it's not going anywhere. No, but the clearinghouse term, much to Doug's dismay, is <laughs> um, in, embedded in statute, <laughs> and it's frequently used across the nation. Yeah, I think to me it's more of a li- um, the idea of the geonet. To me, it's. It's more of a living thing that, you know, you, you don't just publish your data once and then leave it, even though that's probably what we've done in a lot of cases. But, you know, you're supposed to come back and update, make it live, keep publishing things. Clearinghouse just has more of a kind of a dumping ground type of term in my head, I guess. And this feels very curated in a good way with very good metadata yeah and it's supposed to be living and it's easily updatable and and things like that so that's my only hang up i don't know yeah the the metadata part it's not the exciting part but it's kind of the critical piece there absolutely yeah Yeah. okay so let's move down the list kent you've mentioned raster data already but let's talk about raster data let's talk about ky vector and ky raster and what those services are in a nutshell Let's talk about KY Vector first. I think that's the good segue. Both of these things are enterprise databases or enterprise geospatial services. Now, we just talked about the GeoNet and we talked about the metadata records. Nothing goes into KY Vector unless it's been published to the GeoPortal and has a metadata record. Period. That's the rule. Yeah. That is what builds the KY GeoNet and that's what builds KY Vector. Let me just pause real quick. And when we say vector, we're talking about a type of geospatial information that where vector data is represented by points, lines, or polygons. Geometry. Geometry. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. And, yeah. Rasters are pixels. Rasters so, are pixels. Yeah. Grids, images. Grids. And, yeah. 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 So they are, they are separate and they are stored in different ways, to your point, because, of the, because they are different. But uh, what's in KY vector... And, and KY Vector is growing. I mean, it grows all the time. Sometimes, you know, it may be two or three layers a month. Sometimes it may be 10 layers a month. It's rare, but there have been things taken out of KY Vector. Probably you could count them on both your hands in the past 20 plus years. But that is what's in KY Vector now is all of the published holdings uh, on the KY GeoNet or in the KY Geo Portal. So if you think about it, from that perspective, there's this database there, and every layer in it is documented. We're kind of famous for saying, at least in state government, we, we likely have one of the best documented enterprise databases in the executive branch. Because not only do we have uh, layer-level metadata and documentation, but many agencies have actually have record level metadata. You can go look at the stuff the transportation cabinet puts out there and you can see, you can look, there's a field, you know, associated with every feature that tells you the last time it was updated. This idea of layer level and record level metadata is what drives the contents of KY Vector. KY Raster similarly also has, it has metadata records, you know, it has stuff associated with it, but it's 
it's predominantly uh, aerial photography, leaf on and leaf off, things like uh, elevation models, you know, surface models, you know, some satellite data that's out there that's kind of coarse and some things like that. But it's, uh, it's more those images. It's those things we use in the background, not only for analysis, but just once again to view all of our vector data in context. And aerial, we can get into specifics of data set, but we, aerial photography dates back, stuff that's in KY raster dates back to 2008, maybe something like that? 98. Oh. Um, <laughs> I think we've got a couple. Decade off. Yeah. <laughs> Slightly off. Yeah. Um, 90, late 90s, early 2000s, the black and white stuff's in there. Oh, so, okay. so we got. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. We got east of Winchester, I think. Prior to 2000, and then we got the whole state. And when I say aerial photography, I'm kind of cringing here. You know, we used to think it was really cool. Gosh, we just geeked out on this. But, you know, it's black and white, folks, and it's one meter. <laughs> we thought it was the neatest thing since sliced bread. We, we thought we were so cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, hey, uh, that gives you this perspective, too. We, we went from black and white. We, you know, and the first year we saw any color aerial photography was 2004. Okay. And so, and that was still one meter. And, you know, of course today, like I said, uh, we're down looking at six inch leaf off type stuff. Some of the locals have three inch. So it's, it's getting better. Well, I was just going to say, these services are, from my perspective, if you want to share data yeah. in Kentucky and you need a base map, I mean, you can use these services from DGI as your base map. You don't need to worry about you know, from a from a practical standpoint, you can stand up a very detailed, beautiful map, and you don't have to do a whole lot of work to do it. You just these are maps you can use in software or developing a web service or or whatever. But more importantly, is you can bring in not only the base map but also this imagery and the hill shades and and things like that. And it's just they're fantastic resource. But yeah, for time and money saving, <laughs> it's huge. I think it's been mentioned a few times, so I just wanted to really highlight this. Um, so I do a lot of work with data management and talking about the value of publishing data and um, keeping good metadata. And so we've talked about like cost avoidance and we've talked about basically value in data. And so just by, by publishing this data and that use and reuse of the data over time, increases the value of data. It, it costs a whole lot of money, time, effort, energy to collect this data. And so it's incredibly important that it's published and it's available for use and reuse. And by using it for database decision making, um, again, that increases the value and it's this, this iterative process where it sort of builds on itself. So I think that's something that really the value in this is, is incredibly important. And Kentucky's done a really great job. Oh, yeah. Well, and to, to Sarah's point, I, I want to underscore that a little bit more. Every additional set of eyes that gets put on a data set, the more valuable it is. Mm -hmm. There is still a belief held by many that this is my data, I paid for it, and you can't look at it because you didn't pay for it. And I think the interesting thing about that is, is those people also are using all of this data we're talking about to look at this data that they're holding and coveting so close. Mm -hmm. they're, they're using everybody else's data to see their data in context. Mm -hmm. And they discount the fact that the transportation cabinet has spent millions of dollars providing us with a highly detailed, regularly updated road network. Right. They're missing the point that we have spent millions of dollars on aerial photography and LIDAR data, and they don't have to pay a penny to use it. They're missing that point over and over again. But 
anytime that you can broaden the audience that can that can utilize and leverage a data set, the more valuable that data set is. So um, I appreciate you bringing that up. That's that's right on target. Yeah, that's well said. So KY Vector, KY Raster, that's a good segue to Kentucky from above? Yeah. And interestingly, late 2000s, 2006, 7, 8, kind of that time frame, one of the things that became very apparent was we had units of government, particularly local level units of government, that weren't cooperating at the local level or with the state. And what was happening is we were hearing, we were seeing that some geographies were being uh, acquired. Aerial photography specifically was being acquired by multiple entities for a single geography. They weren't sharing the data. They weren't sharing the cost. And So a county or a municipality was doing it on their own. Yeah, but even units of government within the same county <laughs> were doing it within the same time frame. And, and at that point in time, we were just starting to get our, a taste of what color aerial photography looked at, but it was leaf on. And think about this. If you're not a GIS person, you haven't thought about this, let's talk about transportation cabinet. Okay, leaf on aerial photography. How much of their assets are obscured by leaves on the trees? Mm-hmm. Why would they want to pay for aerial photography that obscures the assets that they uh, have to, by statute, uh, maintain uh, on our behalf. So bottom line is we started out the Kentucky Aerial Photography and Elevation Data Program, KPED, for general rebranding. We, we started calling it KY from above. Yeah. But we started pitching this, and by December of 2011, we awarded our uh, first contract via Master Purchase Agreement for the purchase of aerial photography and LIDAR data. And in the spring of 2012, we began those acquisitions. So uh, the KY From Above program is now 10 years old. Wow. Uh, I'm going to do a little uh, brief talk about that at the next advisory council meeting. But uh, to date, we have completed phase one coverage of uh, LIDAR, that is statewide coverage of uh, USGS quality level two and quality level three data. The majority of the state was quality level two in phase one, probably about two-thirds, one-third. Funding for aerial photography kind of fizzled out. We only got like 30% of the state between 2012 and 2014. But interestingly, and, and we didn't anticipate this going in, LIDAR money has been easier to – we've been more successful in, in, in assembling funding packages for LIDAR data. I'll just put it that way. And a broad range – of contributors, over 20 different entities, ranging from the Kentucky Geological Survey to NRCS, USGS, Tennessee Valley Authority, you know, of course, Transportation Cabinet, I could go on and on, but... DOW. Well, Division of Water, and this is the beautiful part, Division of Water, because of their floodplain program, what is more critical for floodplain determination? Think about that. You've got to have detailed elevation data. So they have been extremely successful in consistently providing funding. Now, it hasn't always been the biggest chunk of the pie in every given year, but let me tell you what, what Kerry Johnson has done, especially in the past several years with getting his money, it's the seed money. It's the money that we come to the table with and say, hey, look, we've got this 250000 we can start with. 
Last year, they gave us 250000 and Fish and Wildlife gave us 3000 We turned that into something like $1.3 million. Wow. I can't figure out how to do this at the personal level. I have not been able to accomplish this. <laughs> but Kim and I somehow have been very successful at taking these funds and leveraging those. And interestingly, in the past three or four years, we've been using some funds from the Department for Local Government as well. And and I referenced this earlier, this spring, we just completed statewide coverage of leaf off six inch aerial photography. I don't, there may be another state or two out there that has it, but I, I'm not really sure. But I can tell you, this really sets us apart from other states and it's a very powerful resource. I don't know if you all are aware of this, but the budget that was just passed by the, the legislature, uh, House Bill 1, included $8.5 million per year over the biennium. That's $17 million in the next two fiscal years for aerial photography, wow. for aerial mapping. Okay? So... What we're looking at now, and, and it says specifically, you can go read the bill, but it says specifically we're supposed to work with the Office of Property Valuation within the Department of Revenue, and we're supposed to utilize these funds to get high-resolution aerial mapping, is what it's, it's called, in the bill. That include LIDAR? Yeah, and a little bit. So the bottom line is we're now at 57% or, or 60, 67, 57, 67% coverage, 57% coverage on phase two LIDAR. It's all quality level two. It's a two-foot dim spacing. Look down at the floor, folks, at these tiles, this carpet tile here, and, and, and think about an accurate elevation value every two foot. That increased the size of the dim on, on, on disk, I think Brian Bunch said, by 6.25 times. So bottom line is, is we've got a really good infusion of money. We're likely going to be one of the first states to acquire three-inch statewide, it sounds like, and as well as oblique photography because this oblique imagery is, is especially useful at the local level. It's an asset that is traditionally leveraged at, at that particular level of government, and these units of local government can really take advantage of that. So this is funding from the legislature. To date, prior to that, KY from above funding was just literally passing the hat or passing the offering plate every single year and seeing what we could come up with. But now we've got some consistent funding, and it's mandated that the data be put in, Doug's word here, the clearinghouse, the clearinghouse, <laughs> and it's mandated that it is shared with all units of government, all levels of government. So you think about that, we've just subsidized, you know, Logic, Louisville Jefferson County Information Consortium, Lexington, all of these bigger communities have been buying their own stuff all these years. Don't have to. They don't have to. I mean, all of a sudden, and, and they didn't see this coming, we didn't see this coming really, uh, so all of a sudden, we've just subsidized their efforts significantly. This is going to be a big benefit. But KY from above is probably one of our major focuses within the division and one of the things that we spend a tremendous amount of time on. I can tell you this, it is the largest component of our monthly computing costs is the storage of this stuff. Yeah. Our computing costs right now are running about $22,000 a month. And with this new stuff, it's probably just going to quadruple in the snap of a finger. Mm -hmm. I want to mention a couple of things for our listeners. LIDAR, 
LIDAR is an acronym that stands for light detection and ranging. It's a laser scanning technique that generates or provides extremely detailed XYZ locations. So it's born out of an airplane, the airplane flying over the surface of the earth. It's got a laser in the belly of the airplane. It swings back and forth. You know the height of the airplane. You know the distance of the laser. You get an incredibly detailed location of that point that hits the ground or a tree or a house or a telephone pole. And then Kent mentioned DEMS. That's a DEM. So we generate surface models, digital DEM is a digital elevation model, uh, from all those LIDAR points we can then, you know, off to the races with other kinds of products, we can generate from high resolution elevation data. And also you mentioned oblique photography. Can you explain a little bit about that and what its uses are? Yeah. So traditional aerial photography is ortho photography. That is, it's been ortho rectified. And you have to have a digital elevation model to ortho rectify your imagery. Okay. So when we started KY from above, these multiple propeller head people around the table kept preaching to me, you know, Brian Bunch, Ross McKay, some of these folks were like, you got to get your LIDAR data first. And I'm like, why? Everybody wants to look at their photography, guys. Like, no, no, no. You got to get your- I want to see where my house is. Everybody wants to see where their house is, where their kid's <laughs> soccer field is, all that good stuff. I get it. I get it. I do. You know, and, and it's critical for first responders. If you don't have a good elevation model to orthorectify your imagery, it's like, paying for some high-end family portrait and accepting the fact that it's going to be out of focus. <laughs> None of your measurements on that area of photography are going to be correct because the center of the aperture from the sensor is where the data is most accurate. As you get out to the edge of that image, the distortion is there. So you have to have this elevation model to do that. So that's ortho-rectified imagery. And that's what we traditionally look at. That's top-down. You can see over the top of everybody's roof, Okay. So oblique aerial photography is taken at an angle, and typically it's taken from multiple angles. So an ortho sensor has one sensor. It's nadir. It's pointing straight up and down. It's pointing at the ground. An oblique sensor typically has four sensors on, on the device, and they're pointed in all four cardinal directions. Okay, With typical aerial photography and LIDAR, you make a a pass over a given area, you turn around 180 degrees and you fly back down or across. And so you're making this, this snaking pattern. With obliques, you go both ways because you want to see all sides of things. So the plane's in the sky twice as much. Hmm. It's flying lower because it's trying to get the sides of everything. And particularly in urban areas with tall buildings, Lexington, Louisville, it's a great asset, not only for folks doing assessment, think of the PBAs, but also for first responders. The PBAs, the assessors, and there's like 60 or 70 something counties that now have this sort of asset in-house. They're, they're procuring this at, their, at the local level. Actually, they're, they're, they're using a licensed product. Let me be clear, they're using a licensed product at the local level. So this oblique imagery, the fact that a, an assessor can see every side of Doug's house and, and he gets this, this assessor gets this on a, on a regular basis, he can look at that and say, oh, 
Doug's got new siding on his house. <laughs> okay. He needs you know, to paint some stuff. But. Well, well, it's, you know, they can also see, not don't have to have the oblique to do this, but Doug built a new deck. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay. Doug's got a pool out there. So counties are broken up into quadrants and we're assessed on a, on a court, on, you know, every four years. So when, when Doug's ticket is, is drawn again and they, they go in and they look at this, uh, this new photography from a side, from the angle, they're, they're going to see that Doug's made improvements and they're going to more clearly see that because they have the obliques and they're going to use that to help reassess the structure. Those are typical uses, and those are some of the biggest uses. Oblique aerial photography was really born out of the insurance industry, and, and, and specifically post-storm damage. Want, they were wanting to, to, to assess damaged roofs. That's really what it uh, was born out of, and uh, the, the assessing community particularly, and, uh, and first responders to some degree are, are some of the biggest users of those data sources. Yeah. Will this funding, the new funding, allow for disaster response um, flyovers, or is that is that harder to do because of the contracting? And I, I don't know. I don't know what that will hold. We are beginning, actually, we have a request for a proposal drafted. Uh, it, it's likely to be released uh, this week or next week. So don't ask too many questions because I'm going to get to the point where, you know, I've signed a non-disclosure agreement and I can't tell you much more. I got you. But um, <laughs> I can tell you this. Uh, that Senate Bill 133 and the changes it made to um, our statutes in Chapter 42 uh, explicitly said that every effort should be made to make sure the data is non-licensed. Okay? That means that everybody will be able to see it. I look at hill slopes and specifically landslides and hill slope deformation and all kinds of hill slope processes. And for a while, I was looking at Bing oblique aerial photography. They had some places in Kentucky mm-hmm. where it was really nice, leaf off, mm-hmm. clear, high resolution, oblique aerial. And I was like, oh, this is great. I stopped going to it for whatever reason, I guess just because our our aerial stuff got so good. But the oblique is very helpful for, for stuff that I do. So I'm excited about that option. Mm-hmm. It's harder to measure on that, on the obliques, isn't it? Or Because you don't have the... Well, the, the vendors have built tools that allow you to measure into that. And, and I'm assuming if you know the angle of the sensor, you know you know the height, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the, there's people that are smart enough to do the math to figure that out and take into account that angular view. So, yeah, the, the tool sets provided uh, with the viewers that will let you look at oblique data do let you do measurement on it. And it's my understanding that that has only improved over the years. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 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 Um, most anybody that knows anything about photogrammetry would really kind of, you know, raise their eyebrow by, really? You know, can you really measure on that? But, you know, with optics and computers and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's it's all math, folks. It's it's all math. There's ways to do it. And, and it's it's better than it used to be, I'm, I'm, uh, is what I've been told. That's great. Awesome. Is it something that you could, like, use for, like, 3D cities and digital twins? Could you use that data to, to add in? Yeah, I, I think you could. That in conjunction with the point cloud data. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, I really don't think folks are scratching the surface of the value of our LIDAR data. We all run right to the digital elevation model. We all look, we want to know what the Earth's surface is. I don't know how many billions of points 
I mean, I, I know, you know Bill, Bill is, 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 Bill is, is yeah, Bill would know, <laughs> but, um, you know, are in our, our, a lot of our data sets, but really the convergence of all three of these things, the point cloud, the ortho, and the oblique, to your point, gives you some of the core data sets needed to do those digital twins. Cool. Awesome. So there was one other thing on the list here for programs and services, KY GovMaps. I wasn't entirely sure what that was. Is it new or is it a thing? Or Yeah, it's Esri's intended replacement for the old GeoPortal. It's not a direct replacement. It's really more of a place where you can access map and feature services. Now, Transportation Cabinet publishes bridges, for example. The bridges have been published. They're in KY Vector. They're out for download. You can go out there and get a shape file or a file geodatabase or whatever it is they put out there. There is also a service running on KYGI's server of bridges. That service has been registered with the Open Data Portal or KY GovMaps. And open data portals, spatial or non-spatial, all have some key components in that that has specific search tools and it's supposed to be interoperable. It's supposed to provide things in uh, open source type uh, formats and things like that. And this does that. It provides it from a service perspective. It also lets you zoom into an area and do a filter. And let's say you want to select all of the uh, wildlife management areas that are above a certain number of acres. You could do that from within that service and then export those to a shapefile that you could download. So it's not immediately apparent that you can go there and download data. It's more about knowing, hey, I want to go find out where the soils are, where the geology data is, where the roads data is, so I can make this web map of these different services and, and lay them on top of some base map. It's more of a discovery tool for that type of thing. Now, I think eventually that is where everybody will go. I think long term, people won't download as much data. They'll just use it live. When you download data, you got to keep this in mind. You just got a snapshot, folks. Right. If you downloaded bridges last week, you got bridges from last week, okay? And you've got that on your hard drive, and you're using that for the next six years. You're using <laughs> bridges from six years ago. But if you hit that service live and you utilize that, you, or you're hitting it live in KY Vector in our enterprise databases, you know you have the most recent. The minute you go download something, you just got a snapshot in time. And if you're not diligent in going and refreshing that, you know, there you go. Yeah, that's why I tell people all the time, use the services right. because you're getting the latest and greatest mm -hmm. thing because you guys update that stuff all the time. So yeah. it's kind of a no-brainer. Unless you need to do some type of vector analysis, I guess, on the bridges or something. A lot of people do, but for most purposes, I think people just need a visual representation of where the things are located and Although we should be doing more analysis. So. We should be. Should yeah. be. Should and be. actually, I think these services, they're allowing you to do analysis on more and more on the service mm -hmm. themselves. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. They, they yeah. are, especially. Yeah. We're approaching an hour. Kent has been very generous with his time. I got a few other things. And some of this we've touched on in our conversation so far. But I was going to make the point like that this cooperative effort that DGI wrangles is amazing like i I've t i tell people it's that whenever incredible. i get a yeah. chance like this is 
like you said, you don't you're not exactly sure what other states got going on with what you know, but what I know about what you all do is an amazing cooperative effort. And is there a cooperative effort in, in other states that we know about? There are in some states. I guess, sorry, I guess when I say that, I mean a cooperative effort to get all this information, map data, all the stuff we've been talking about out there for government, for people, for whoever. That's what, and, and everyone contributing, state government, counties, municipalities. I'm sure there are a handful of examples, but I'm sure there's not dozens of examples. Yeah. If they don't, they should, because it's an enormous cost savings. And then along with that, you're getting an enormous amount of data that is shareable and everybody can use. I mean, it kind of a no brainer, but Kentucky was very good about getting this going early on, which set a foundation for, for doing this stuff. And well, and, and I think the foundation, and, and I'm going to go back to this, is the governance, the statutes, okay? Right. Because yeah. if you read the statutes and, and, and you know, you look at the fact that we have a, an advisory council, the Geographic Information Advisory Council, which also exists under statute. It's not some made-up thing, which some of the others – I don't say that other states have made-up things, but they have things that don't exist in statute. So they have this volunteer sort of group, for example, and it's very formal, and they have regular meetings, but it doesn't exist in statute. So I think that is the foundation of it, but a lot of it is the relationships that Kim and I have built over the years with these entities that feed this thing. And – when the light comes on and they see the value in it, our sales job is kind of done because they're on the hook. They get it. And I don't mean on the hook in a negative way. I mean, they just became a part of something bigger. It's not about the technology at all. It's really more about collaboration and sharing. And the unique thing about geospatial stuff is, and, and you've heard me say this multiple times today, is we need everybody else's stuff to put our stuff in context. You know, I keep talking about bridges, but if you drew up bridges and you didn't have streams, most bridges go over streams. <laughs> Not all of them, but most of them do. You just think about things like that. I was doing a presentation for a cabinet secretary and, and, I, and I drew up, I don't know, like a bunch of water towers. Okay, Just a bunch of water towers on a white screen. You know, until you draw up the roads and and everything else and then turn on the aerial photography, nobody would have known those were water towers. Mm -hmm. So we've all got to have everybody else's data to put our data in context. I think that's what we've been um, pushing, and uh, that's the the story we've been uh, putting out there for years. So, Yeah, that's great. The next thing was, you know, sort of circling back to some data sets. We've talked a lot about about some specific data sets already. So I, I don't know if there's other ones we failed to mention that we should. We should talk about the topo. Okay, topo yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was just sort of going to say, like, for the old school folks who want to want the old topo, that you can still get it, right? The old geologic map, you can still get it. Yep, it, it's out there. And the DRGs, which were the digital raster graphics that were put out by USGS, was the first digital topo maps we had. Then working with KGS, the Natural Resources and Environmental Protection Cabinet, scan and create what's called the KRGs, which is a higher resolution version in Kentucky single zone. In the past uh, three or four years, what we did, and we couldn't do this until we finished LIDAR. We are the first and we are the only state in the nation to have created a new topographic map series. It's amazing. That is based on LIDAR data. Yeah. Oh, it's-, um, it's already been updated three times now. Once again, folks don't know that, really. 
you know, unless they're going out there and looking, oh, this road's moved. But, you know, we update those. And it was all done with data that's in the public domain. It's, it's data that mainly comes from state agencies. Some of it's from federal agencies. But it's super cool. And we also have a new Commonwealth map topo base. And I don't know if you've seen it or not, the TCM topo base. But it takes the coolest pieces of the Commonwealth map topo base and the KY topo map series and puts those into one. And for a online map, it's really nice. Now, the new KY topo map series does not adhere to the standard quadrangles. So right. thanks to Brian Bunch, thanks to Single Zones, thanks to all of our tiling grids and everything he came up with, I said, Brian, we need a new tiling grid for this thing. Instead of having 740-something topos, we've got 549 or something like that. So we've got less. And they are all designed to fit on a standard 24 by 36 D-size sheet. So you've got a printable version and you've got an online version. Unlike uh, the old topos where you'd see, oh, photo revised, you know, such and such date down in the corner. Um, you know, it's our goal, as long as I'm around at least, to, to run these because it's just a batch process but to run these once a year and put them out there. Um, we've recently, within the past year, published them all to the Avenza platform. Oh, cool. Mm. Yeah, cool. a lot of and people so, use that out in the field. Yeah. yeah, you go look at the downloads on our end. I mean, the, the vast majority, the, the, <laughs> they're all around recreational areas, but especially around the gorge and mm. especially in the climbing areas. <laughs> but, you know, every uh, all the big lakes and all that stuff and the hunting areas, uh, we haven't advertised it, but it's out there and people are finding this stuff. It's free. So, but uh, that's the funnest I've had in years was doing that. <laughs> I wish that's all I had to work on. Uh, that's, that's, that's the funnest thing that I've got to do. Um, but Kim and I had a ball doing that. That's something we're, we're pretty proud of. Definitely go take a look because they're, yeah. They're, yeah. We talked about aerial photography. We talked about LIDAR. Any other data sets that we failed to mention? Maps? Probably. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are folks. I mean, I'm usually Kim's, you know, right over my shoulder somewhere and I can ask her questions. But, you know, it seems like there's three or 400 things in KY Vector now. And we're getting into building a, a statewide 911 data portal. There will be some of your all's data sets in there. You know, you don't think about that from a first responder perspective. Uh, I talked about fish and wildlife earlier. And, you know, we want to know where you can put a boat in the water. Who knows where to put the boat in the water? Fish and wildlife. First responders need to know where you put a boat in the water. Yeah. We need to know where the schools are. Education, they don't provide but one data set, but they provide it every year. And on Earth Day, they go out and they have students go to the front door of the school, get a lat long, and confirm that it's right. And so it's called the Front Door Project, and we get front doors of schools updated every year on Earth Day. So there's a lot of these data sets, there's agencies that maybe just submit one or two layers, but their layers are critical. And just because they submit one or two doesn't mean it's not as valuable as an agency that submits, you know, dozens like you all do. But all of these layers are important. And once again, it lets us all see our data in context. Go to the KY from above website. Right. Check it. I mean, right. There's, you can explore for days on there, all the different data sets and maps and Interactive maps, story maps. Yeah. Go check out the, you all got a lot of cool story maps out there. Um, the one that's getting a lot of traffic right now is the one from the tornado. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, I just did another presentation on that yesterday. And that's the one that's getting a lot of attention. The devastation part of the story is obviously what is compelling a lot of people to go look at it. But it's the sharing and the collaboration 
that you need to, to pay attention to when you're looking at that. It's um, it's astounding, folks. It's it's pretty unique what happened here and the response effort. It's almost like we've been preparing for it for years. All of this stuff was right there at our fingertips. We just had to give them a platform to, to use it. And that story map's a good thing to look at. It kind of steps you through how it all played out. That's great. I'm amazing. Maybe last thing here, quickly, Kent, you can give us a something lesson learned with your experience with DGI and then what maybe one thing you're excited about going forward with what you all do. I think at the end of the day, it's the big lesson learned for us over the years, and I say us, it's it kind of Kim and I's, is that this is probably more about the data and the relationships than it is about the technology. The, the relationships really is what gets you to the data. And it's really those relationships over the years. It's, it's not the technology that I can point to as is, is, is why it's been successful. So that's kind of the lessons learned. Everybody wants to focus on, oh, I've got this software and, oh, I've got this data. And if you're just sitting there in your little vacuum doing your thing, you're, you're, you're not a part of the, the bigger picture. So, so think about that, you know, um, reach out beyond your organization sometimes, share, work with people. And, and sometimes sharing isn't only about data, sharing your expertise. Think about that. Think about that. Going forward, I was was fairly close to just hanging hanging it up and, and retiring, but a couple things that have happened in the, in the past few months are going to keep me around for a while. You know, at least another two or three years, maybe. And um, we're going to see where this funding takes us. I think the statutory changes kind of somewhat strengthened our position a little bit. Really, at this point, Kim and I are trying to lay the groundwork for the next generation to come in. And, and, and try to take care of all this stuff. We've spent nearly three decades building all this out, and it would be really tough to see it all just kind of stop working. And so many people depend on it. So uh, going forward, that's that's kind of our focus right now is, is how do we prepare for that transition and how do we get the right people in place. We, we've got a great team. I mean, Kevin and Ian are great, but as you all said earlier, it's only four of us. Yeah. And so, yeah, I may be the director and I, and I may talk and write and speak and all that kind of stuff, but folks, I probably spend 70% of my day at a, at a keyboard doing work too. So just preparing, laying the groundwork for going forward, I think is uh, is the main thing on our radar right now. And I'm lucky to have good leadership. Carrie Welch is our executive director. Of course, Ruth Day is the chief information officer and also the chair of the advisory council. And, and I've got great support right now. And that really um, that really helps us plan for the future. So That's awesome. Anything else from you all? No, that's great. Yeah, thanks a lot, Kent. Yeah, Kent yeah. Annis, thank you so much for being here on the Big Blue Rock Pod. Your first outside guest? Outside the university. I don't count. Yeah. Yeah. Outside the university. Outside the university. Okay. Yeah. True outsider. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did go to school here. We're I did go to school here. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks. Thank bye. Thanks. This podcast was produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. Special thanks to Ben Corwin and Alicia Gregory at UK's Office of Research Communications for technical support. If you have any ideas for the show, email mcrawford at uky.edu. Thanks for listening.